Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents Ninth Step Murders, Season 2, Episode 9. Even long after midnight, the tiny street was sweltering, absorbed heat still pouring off the buildings on either side. It was a weekday, and this narrow alley was far off the main streets. Aside from the old-fashioned bar sign, red plastic over some energy-efficient light bulbs, the street was dark and quiet enough for a casual observer to imagine it deserted. The door of the bar opened, letting out voices, light, the smell of frying, and the faint hiss of a ceiling fan. The two men who exited were leaning on each other, so that it was hard to tell who was supporting whom. They were followed by a tall woman, her bare arms shimmering with iridescent tattoos, who seemed only slightly more sober. A few steps in front of the bar, one of the men swayed to a stop, nearly unbalancing his companion, and used the tiny but impressive lighter that had replaced his severed pinky finger to light a cigarette. What are you doing? slurred the woman in a growl loud enough to wake the neighbors. You know I... Before she could finish, the man's head jerked back and he slumped, hanging off the other man's arm until he was suddenly dropped and hit the ground. His two companions laughed uncontrollably, the sound bouncing off the close walls of the alley, until, gasping for breath, the woman leaned over to slap his chin and jumped back. What? Asked the man, stumbling over to take a look. He covered his mouth, turned, and vomited into the scant gutter. His friend's left eye was now a gaping, bloody hole. Stupid fool! The woman yelled. Call Ueda! Tell him! The man was straightening up. Tell him what? That we got Nakahara sniped? The woman glanced around suddenly and jerked back toward the wall. Sniper? But... Cautiously, 
She crawled forward and examined her fallen companion's face, then raised her hand. Her little finger had been replaced by a pincer, and she inserted it into the new cavity and hooked something out. Is it a bullet? The man asked. She held it up to the light. No. The sphere had been partly flattened by impact, but it was still clear that it had once had wings and minuscule appendages. It's a drone. Another one! Investigator Yamada called across the room, standing up and pointing at his sleeve. From her workstation, Miyako raised her hand in acknowledgement without looking at him. She had already seen the alert on her sleeve, and Emma was spreading hers out on the desk so they could look at the initial report together. That makes three. Yamada added as he sat down. No shit, Emma murmured, adding the latest location to a map with the other two. What is going on tonight? She examined the map, added traffic and public transportation overlays. I don't see how one person could have done all of these, do you? Getting from here to here in under 35 minutes seems unlikely, even in the middle of the night. It wouldn't work. Miyako agreed. Not unless the reported timings are wrong. Could it be the witnesses underestimated the time since the murder when they called it in? Maybe, Emma said. But even so, incredibly tight. It must have been planned. Targeted. Do we know anything about- She stopped when she saw Miyako looking up over her shoulder and spun her chair around to see Kensuke standing there. Ladies, he said. Smooth as always, but it sounded a little perfunctory. Maybe he was finally getting the message that Emma wasn't looking for romance with him. I saw the reports on your cases come in, and I wanted to let you know I recognized the names. Oh? Emma raised her eyebrows. I noticed with the second victim, and went back to check on the first. And with the third, I'm sure. He gave it a moment for emphasis and Emma thought Miyako's particular type of stillness was the equivalent of an eye roll. They are all Nakajimakai. That did make Miyako's eyebrows go up, and Emma didn't blame her. She had imagined maybe one of the smaller gangs, but someone knocking off three Nakajimakai in one night? Any ideas? Miyako asked. As far as I can tell, this comes out of nowhere, Kensuke said. Encouraging, Emma said. There was the sound of loud footsteps on the stairs and someone burst into the room, pushing the door so hard it slammed backward against the wall. What the fuck is going on here? The man swung around, and Emma saw that it was Ren, the Nakajima cop. He looked enormous and angry. You let this happen. You let my people be slaughtered in your area. Nishimura! He bellowed that last out of the office, and Nishimura was already coming through the door. Always nice to meet with one of our law enforcement colleagues, Nishimura said. Stop bullshitting, Nishimura! Ren yelled. Emma suddenly clocked the two guys behind him. His fury had sucked in the attention of the room so powerfully she hadn't even noticed them. 
I know exactly who's doing this, and I'm not putting up with it. Understand? If you have evidence you'd like to provide us, Kensuke said, stepping forward. Please be our guest. Emma was still watching Nishimura, who had noticeably said nothing. Oh, I'll find the evidence, Ren said, eyes still on Nishimura. I'll find it. But you better not wait until I do to stop this, or I might find more than you like. He leaned in, jabbing his fingers so close to Nishimura's chest that Emma heard her sucked-in breath echoed around the room. Make it stop. He shot a last glare at Nishimura and swept out, followed by his guards. Emma dragged her eyes back to Nishimura, noticing on the way that Miyako was staring at him fixedly. There was a long, awkward silence. All right, Nishimura barked. Typical, trying to blame their problems on the police. Let's get back to work. As the room started to hum again, Emma's sleeve vibrated, and she heard an almost simultaneous beep from Miyako. Nishimura wanted them in his office. He was sitting back behind his desk as usual, but his fingers tapped the surface much as though he were pacing. So done He started. As you can see, we need to clean this up quickly and quietly. His eyes bored into Miyako. Emma could feel her eyes darting back and forth between them in a decidedly unsubtle manner. Not that it mattered, since neither of them was paying the slightest attention to her. Which meant that when her sleeve vibrated silently against her forearm, she could look down at it without either of them noticing. Figure it out, Nishimura was saying. It's not Ren's turf, Miyako pointed out. Nishimura snorted. Not his official turf, but it's exactly where he... Where the Nakajima Kai is strongest. Do you think they will hesitate to go unofficial? Emma raised her eyes, but her mind was still on the message she had just read. It was from Ueda, the head of the Nakajima Kai. He was offering her information about the death of Minister Kobayashi. Could she trust the head of the most powerful organized crime syndicate in Tokyo? It seemed like a dangerous move. But if this was for real, it would let Emma put Charles away, legally, for his crime. She wasn't sure she could turn that down. Well, this is a mess, Miyako said, glancing at the passenger seat where Emma was staring out the window apparently too lost in thought to hear or answer. Or was she suspicious, trying to work things out? Nishimura had been, for him, shockingly obvious. I don't know what the Nakajimakai are up to, she added, trying for whatever outrage she would have felt if circumstances were normal. That seemed to wake Emma up at least. I was wondering, she said, turning toward Miyako, and then stopped. Miyako held her breath, maneuvering around a double-parked delivery truck and wondering what Emma had been about to say. Whatever it was, she shouldn't say it here. 
Miyako was almost certain the department cars had audio and probably video recording enabled at all times. Almost there. She lied, squeezing through a yellow light and pretending she and her boss weren't hiding a deadly secret from her partner. Could you tell anything about these tiny drones from the pictures we got? As a distraction, it seemed to work. Emma frowned. Nothing good. I need to see them. The scene of the third murder, assassination, was the closest, so Miyako directed the car there first. The crime scene techs were already there. The narrow street lit up like daylight and blocked on both sides by parked modulars. What have you got? Emma asked Sato, walking up to where he was standing over his car, using the hood as a makeshift desk. Mini drone. Pretty badly damaged due to its encounter with the orbital socket in the brain. Could be commercial, hard to tell yet, but it's definitely been modified. I'll be able to tell you more after I've dissected it at the lab. Can I take a look first? As she took the tweezers holding the device, Emma thought about how her relationship with everyone at the station had improved since she arrived. Sato handed it to her without hesitation, and even something like a smile. She turned the device one way and another under the strong temporary lights. It was seriously damaged. One side crushed, what had probably been a propeller badly twisted. She couldn't be sure. But there was an uncomfortable shiver down her back, because it looked a little too similar to some drone she had seen Bird experimenting with. Minuscule but accurate targeting technology that should be proprietary to the U.S. military. Maybe she was wrong. Let me know what you find, she told Sato, handing the drone back to him with a little bow. Leaving Emma to her drones, Miyako approached the two witnesses to the attack. A tall woman with aggressively styled silver-tinted hair and a man with vomit spatter on his expensive suit. Both had pinky finger modifications and lots of tattoos, she guessed that Kensuke could have given her full files on them. Miyako almost didn't have to ask any questions. As soon as she got them started on what happened, they were talking loudly, as if they didn't care who overheard, and arguing with each other. The woman was a little less drunk than the man, but not much, and they both sounded bewildered. It came from up there, the man said, pointing at the roof lines down the street, invisible now in the glare. Shithead, you have no idea where it came from, the woman put in, sounding disgusted. It was out of nowhere, just pfft, and Nakahara was on the ground, bleeding. I just don't understand, the guy moaned, nursing his head in his hands. No one messes with us. Not like this. That was the only thing the detectives seemed able to agree with. They couldn't think of anyone who would attack the Nakanchimakai so openly. Another, uh, society? Miyako suggested. Business rivals? The woman frowned. Nothing going on that I know of. She glanced at her colleague, and he shook his head too. If this is a war... It's a new one. And if that's what they want, whoever it is, you better believe that's what they're going to get. 
Please leave it to the authorities, Miyako murmured without much optimism. She said her goodbyes and walked over to Emma, who was standing over the illuminated projection that replaced a chalk outline and looking at roofs. Sightlines? Emma grimaced. Yes. Although it's possible it carried a navigation camera that would make those unnecessary. We'll find out after Sato finishes with it. With that size, though, unless the resolution and processing and responsiveness are well above what's available on the street... Yeah. I personally would rather have eyes on the target while piloting. Miyako noted the phrase, what's on the street, instead of what's possible, but decided not to ask. They say they don't know of any reason for someone to be targeting the Nakajimakai right now. Emma was silent, her eyes still on the roofs, her toes swiveling into the pavement. I was wondering... She stopped, not even trailing off, then made her decision and lowered her voice. Maybe Charles is involved, starting a gang war, for reasons best known only to himself. Miyako didn't like Charles either, but she wasn't sure why he had to take the blame for everything. Any particular reason? Maybe. Emma glanced back at the crime scene van, in which the drone was now carefully packed and awaiting its transfer to the lab. The drones... Maybe, but I can't be sure yet. Also... Miyako waited. I got a message from Ueda. Emma's voice was lower still. Miyako blinked. Nakajimakai's Ueda? About this? I don't know, but he said he has information for me. About Charles. She must have asked for the information, Miyako thought. That wasn't the sort of thing the Nakajimakai would just offer out of nowhere. Not to a U.S. peacekeeper. It seems worth checking out. If you can do it safely, she said. And Emma nodded unhappily. Miyako pressed her lips together in sympathy. She knew how hard Emma had been trying to find evidence on Yardley. And the Nakajimakai weren't exactly the kind of people you wanted to accept assistance from. It was possible that Charles was behind this sudden attack on the Nakajimakai, Miyako thought as she drove them back to the station. It would explain Ueda being eager to sell him out. But she couldn't stop thinking about Ren's accusations. Had it been the resistance? Did Nishimura know? Would he even know? There were so many cells, and they took pride in keeping information from each other. But why would the resistance, which was supposed to be fighting back against the occupation, do something so idiotic as to attack the Nakajimakai? Miyako thought of the resistance people she had met. Yes, they had accomplished some extraordinary coups. Her memory played uneasily over the explosion on the electricity barge, far too close for comfort. But they were nothing like the seasoned, brutally effective Nakajimakai. Not as organized, not as competent, not as ready. What were they thinking? As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, 
And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Miyako waited through the long line at the checkpoint to cross into the Chinese zone. After a dinner of ordering chirashi sushi and an episode of the soapy family drama Kaori Light, Miyako suggested they put on some music. Maybe dance a little. Kaori looked at her in surprise, but put on a playlist and stood in the middle of the small room, waiting for her. Miyako stood up and put her arms around Kaori's neck. She let herself enjoy the warmth and closeness for a moment, then turned her mouth toward Kaori's ear. Can I ask you something? Kaori froze, then shook herself, then detached. She did it with a smile, but not a real one. She turned the lights off and then came back into Miyako's arms. What? She demanded in a barely aspirated whisper against Miyako's earlobe. Have you heard of... Anything happening? Specifically anything against the Nakachimakai? A long silence while they shifted from foot to foot in time with the slow beat. Something's being planned, but I don't know what. Kaori whispered at last. I'm not a part of it. 
I don't know anything about the Nakanjimakai being involved, but it's supposed to be big. Biggest yet. Miyako probably should have been excited to hear that something was being planned against the occupation. But all she felt was weary. She was tired of the constant razor's edge between success and failure, attack and repercussion, wanting to do the right thing and being terrified that the harm would outweigh the good. Kiyotsukete, she whispered into Kaori's hair, too quietly for her to hear. Be careful. Emma got the report from Sato while she was on the subway the next morning. She was almost relieved when she got to the nightstep offices to see that Miyako wasn't at her workstation yet, so she could focus on the drone specs, and on their implications, without outside eyes. Sato found that the base for the drones was a very simple chassis, easily available everywhere, but they had been souped up with extremely accurate targeting and extra propulsion, consistent across the drones used in the three murders, as far as he could tell from their damaged hardware. Emma spent some time looking at the targeting system, and by the time Miyako came in with a tense nod and some murmuring about the checkpoint taking forever that morning, she was convinced that the technology was based on a classified U.S. military system. Emma leaned back in her chair. Could Charles be behind the leaking of this technology, too? The Resistance? Probably. Or another organized crime group? Or would he have gone back to the political hardliners? That last seemed unlikely. But the idea of Charles using military technology to suit his own ends? Yes, very possible. And maybe, just maybe, this could be the tax evasion equivalent that would take Charles out. Less satisfying than seeing him prosecuted for the murder of Minister Kobayashi. But if it got him to stop messing with occupied Tokyo, it would be worth it. And she wouldn't have to make a deal with the Nakachimakai. But had it been him? I've got to go, she said, standing up. Miyako looked up in surprise, and Emma realized she had been concentrating so hard that she had barely acknowledged her that morning. Sorry, I have to check something at the barracks. What are you working on? Geography, Miyako replied succinctly. The drones have a fairly limited range, right? And you said you would prefer line of sight on the targets? Emma waggled her hand side to side. It might be possible without it, but yes, I would want it. And especially if the operator was not an expert. Miyako nodded. So I'm checking the timing in terms of having a single operator do all of these hits from fairly close by. How does it look? Unlikely, at least without a jetpack, and someone would have noticed that. Seems probable it was a group. Another gang, maybe? Emma did not want to suggest it was the resistance in front of Miyako. She wasn't sure where her partner's loyalties lay, but it still seemed like an enormous can of worms to open with so little evidence. Maybe, Miyako said, but she didn't sound convinced either. Emma hesitated on the brink of telling Miyako her suspicion, but decided again in favor of evidence. Okay, see you later. 
After Emma swept out, Miyako kept working on the problems of transport and positioning, and also what Emma had said about whether the operator was experienced. How much difference would that make? She was about to call Sato to ask for his opinion, when an alert beeped on her sleeve and simultaneously on the murder board. Another body. But this one had definitely not been killed by a mini-drone. A drone, yes, Nishimura said, after he called her into his office. But a large one. Bystanders claim it was equipped with a samurai sword, and forensics has agreed, in a preliminary way, that it looks likely. Miyako didn't bury her face in her hands, but she sure wanted to. This is the revenge killing. Nishimura nodded slowly. And it will only escalate from here. I don't want a gang war on our hands, Nishimura said. We have more important things to be dealing with right now. Any known gang affiliation on the latest victim? Miyako asked, without much hope. No, Nishimura said shortly. Any other affiliation? Miyako was trying to imagine how she might find out whether the victim, who had been dismembered, was in the resistance. But she couldn't think of any possible way to ask without putting more people in danger. I don't know, Nishimura thundered. Apparently, he was in the same situation. Just, just collect the evidence and do what you need to do. Close this case. At least there was a Starbucks near the barracks, Emma thought. Her iced soy latte was about the only positive result of her trek all the way back here. Otherwise, there was nothing conclusive. Of course Charles had been around the barracks, changed role notwithstanding. Yeah, he checked out these drones, Bert had told her, sniffing a little. I double-checked his authorization, because I always thought he was a creepy motherfucker, even before whatever he did to get his job desk changed. But he was still on the list, and he brought them back on time. So... No idea what he used them for? Ours is not to question why, Bert answered, rolling his eyes. At least not of people with that level of clearance. Emma had stood there fidgeting, wondering how much to tell Bert. Any chance he could have copied the targeting systems while he had them out? Bert stared. I don't know. Would he care about breaking about six different laws and committing treason? He had paused to think about it more seriously. I don't know. I never got the impression that he had the technical chops to do something like that. But I could be wrong. Hey, is it true that he used to be on a sculling crew with the president? How should I know? Emma had snapped, not wanting to consider one more reason why Charles wouldn't be held accountable for his crimes. Now she stood on the sidewalk in front of the Starbucks, tapping her fingernails on her reusable cup. But she didn't really know why she had expected an easy out. She tapped her sleeve and sent a message to Ueda, accepting his invitation to meet that evening.
Miyako had dissected the life of the latest victim almost as thoroughly as the katana-wielding drone had dissected his body. But she found nothing to confirm that he was in the resistance. Or, conversely, to prove that he wasn't. It made her wonder, uncomfortably, what someone might find if they were to look at her life. She decided she had to know, even if it wasn't the smartest thing to do. In any case, she wasn't getting anywhere with the investigation otherwise. If she didn't want to go through Nishimura, and she didn't, she had only one option to reach out to someone in the resistance without waiting for them to reach out to her first. She called in an order to a specific Hoka Hoka Tei to deliver to a manga cafe, then loitered outside the shop so she could slip a handwritten note into the delivery bag. After that, all she could do was wait in the appointed coffee shop, drinking cup after cup of swill, and finally giving in and eating one of their dry white bread sandwiches. She was contemplating ordering in food to there when a woman sat down next to her and murmured, Fubei seems cleaner these days. Miyako sighed with relief. Must be the currents. Fine. The woman spat under her breath. I'm busy and I can't be here. There's a lot going on. Tell me what you want and let's get out of here. What is going on with the Nakachimakai? Was that... The woman stood up abruptly. I don't know what you're talking about. Miyako grabbed her shirt sleeve. The Nakachimakai is not messing around. Someone's already been killed. She pulled up a picture of the victim on her sleeve and showed it to the woman. Is he one of yours? The woman gasped and wobbled on her low heels. But he... he didn't have anything to do with... You see? Miyako muttered through her teeth. You are not prepared to go up against the Nakajimakai. The woman sank back down into her seat. It's a little late now, isn't it? It was. Maybe we could set up a meeting for you with them? Miyako suggested. Surely Kensuke could pull that off. That's how we got into this mess. The woman said, standing and walking out. Ueda had set the meeting for the same office where Emma had spoken to him on the night of the Fight Club killings. She couldn't help glancing at the screen that had looked down on the underground bar last time. But now it just showed a shockingly realistic video of a tropical fish tank. Last time you were here, Ueda said without preamble. You asked for some information, and we were able to provide it. He waited until Emma nodded, jaw clenched. It occurred to me that you might be interested in what we know about another assassination. Of course, if I've overstepped. I already know who committed that assassination, Emma said, starting to get up. So while I appreciate the thought... Ueda smiled. He knew she wasn't leaving. We have evidence. We thought you might want it. Emma let herself fall back down into her seat, hating the game even as she played it. And you're just handing it over to me? I did have to consider all the implications carefully. Ueda responded dryly. 
But in light of recent events, I've decided it is in our interests for that particular representative of the United States government to take a hard fall. Recent events like the killings of three of your members? Emma asked. Ueda ignored her, tapping something on his sleeve that changed the screen on the wall to what looked like a series of Tamil communications. Emma stood up to take a closer look. This is... Surely Yardley wouldn't be so careless as to communicate with Kobayashi by Tamil. Ueda flicked another control. These were both highly encrypted and between two temporary accounts. Here you can see the provenance linking the accounts to both men through geolocating at the time of account establishment and the sending of various messages. And here... He switched back to the page showing the messages. Is the set of messages confirming their plans to meet in the upper gallery of the Diet that fateful night? Emma raised her eyebrows at fateful, but Ueda just offered her an enigmatic smile. It's all here. Everything you need to... He switched into careful English. Nail him. Emma couldn't quite keep the smile off her face. Charles was going down. Even the DOD wouldn't be able to ignore this. But she hesitated, wishing she didn't have to ask. But she couldn't stop herself. And anyway, wasn't it better to know? At what price? A gesture of friendship, Ueda said. Why now? Emma asked. Who is attacking you? Is it Charles? Ueda steepled his fingers and appeared to consider, although Emma would have bet that he had decided before she showed up exactly how much he was willing to tell her. The resistance came to us last week, asking for our help. We were in principle willing to work with them as allies against the illegal occupation. But they brought your Mr. Yardley, we no longer trust him. We tried to warn our compatriots not to work with him. And now... There was a thud from just outside the door, and someone shouted. Emma leapt to her feet as the door swung open. Boss! Yelled the man behind it. Evacuate! Now! The... Whatever he was going to say disappeared into a gurgle as a small blur of metal burst through his throat. Sasagawa, Ueda yelled as the man crumpled to the floor. Emma grabbed his arm. We've got to go, she said urgently. That wasn't the only drone. The one that had killed Ueda's assistants was weaving drunkenly as it lost altitude. They really weren't robust enough even for soft tissue. But she could see three more in the outer office. Slamming her palm down on her quiver release, Emma sent her own fleet out into the air and scraped together an algorithm for a defensive pattern of attacks by multiple small flying assailants as quickly as she could. Come on! She tugged at Ueda's arm as the first mini-drone zapped toward them and two of hers blocked it. Ueda shook off his shock, ran to the inner door, and pulled it open, yanking Emma through and slamming it behind him as she started down the stairs, trying not to trip as she watched her drone maneuvers with one eye. This is it! Ueda shouted, 
as they burst into the underground bar, still empty at that hour. We will unleash war on these fools who call themselves a resistance. How dare they? Those pathetic. They made a mistake, Emma said, as loudly as she could. But you must remember they're new at this. That is no excuse. The important thing now is to make common cause against the Chinese, Emma argued desperately. The important thing is to protect my people, Ueda growled, holding his sleeve up to a mirror along the back wall. There was a loud click, and that part of the wall swung open. Emma glanced behind them in time to see a mini-drone buzzing out of the stairway, followed by three of hers in close formation. She hurtled after Ueda into the secret passage, which went night black as the door swung closed behind them. Emma's infrared showed her a smooth, concrete passage sloping upward. Isn't the war being waged by the Chinese the greater threat? Emma tried, as she started walking toward what she assumed was a nondescript exit somewhere at street level. Where have wars against your competitors gotten you in the past? A light shot out of Ueda's sleeve, illuminating his face from below before he turned it toward the passage ahead. Wars against my competitors have gotten me exactly to where I am now. Miyako walked into the Ninth Step offices and looked around. It was quiet. Long enough after shift change that enough people were out on the street or hunched over paperwork that nobody was paying attention. And as she had hoped, Nishimura was still in his office. He looked up when Miyako walked in and closed the door. Well, is there some place we can talk safely? Nishimura just stared at her. There seems to be some support for Ren's accusations, Miyako said stiffly. And it is leading to a war between the Nakajima Kai and the... the other group. It will be bad for everyone. Nishimura frowned in silence. I will see what I can do about the other side. If you will try to identify someone from Nakajima Kai who can take responsibility for the killing from their side. Miyako nodded sharply and moved to leave. I don't like this, Nishimura said behind her. What's to like? Emma had less luck finding her boss. By the time she got all the way back to the barracks, Corporal McDowell had left, and his assistant had little idea where he had gone. Some sort of social event, I think. Can I help? Thanks, Emma said, but I'll use the drop locker. It was a lockbox specifically designed for sensitive information, with a slot in the top and a biometric lock allowing only McDowell to open it. Feeling a thousand pounds lighter, Emma waved a cheerful goodbye to the assistant and headed back toward Ninth Step. She had done it. Charles would be punished. Justice would be served. Emma would no longer feel like she had failed Miyako, Nishimura, and the entire Japanese people by letting Charles get away with that. And once the jerk was out of the country, maybe she could stop looking over her shoulder too. Miyako started home in the late summer dusk. It had been a long afternoon, but with Kensuke's help, 
They had managed to narrow down the possibilities for the Nakajima killing that morning to a single candidate and arrest him. How long he would stay arrested was anyone's guess. But when Ren stormed in, Nishimura had been able to point to the four people in the cells accused of murdering or abetting the murder of Nakajima Kai members. Stopping at a convenience store for the air conditioning almost as much as for the cold bottled tea she bought, she wondered if the resistance arrests would push back whatever that big thing was that they had planned, and whether that was good or bad. She wanted the resistance to win. Of course she did. It was just that they put themselves in so much danger. And everyone else. Miyako walked into the lobby and immediately spun around, but the footfall she had heard behind her was Kaori, now walking closer with her hands up. Sorry, sorry, she said. I should have called first. No, of course not, Miyako answered, both relieved and embarrassed by her jumpiness. Coming up? Kaori waited until they were safely locked into Miyako's apartment, with music on and the lights off. I'm sorry, she whispered, while they were cuddled close together on the sofa. Miyako hadn't found any viable meal prep in her fridge, so they had eaten cold cereal, and the bowls of congealing milk sat on the floor in front of them. Maybe I shouldn't have come, but I'm just so worried. What is it? Miyako asked, a chill of fear running through her even as she rubbed her hand up and down Kaori's back. They know something is coming, Kaori murmured, turning her lips into Miyako's hair so there was no chance of surveillance lip-reading. They're cracking down. What is going to happen? Do you know? Kaori shook her head slightly but answered anyway. Something to do with a drone wall, I think. I'm afraid they're going to clamp it down completely. Miyako sat silently with the realization that Kaori had come to her knowing she might get locked away from her home. What is being planned? Do you think they will manage it? I don't know, Kaori said. The rumor is they found someone else to take on the role the Nakajimakai refused. Do you want them to succeed? Miyako asked. They sat there a long time. But Kaori didn't answer. At the U.S. Peacekeeper Barracks, McDowell's office had long since been closed and locked, the assistants off for the night. But a key turned easily in the lock, and Charles Yardley III walked in without turning on the lights. He went straight to the locked drop box and held a darkly iridescent chip up to the biometric sensor. The box clicked open. He reached in and removed the data chip that Emma had pushed through the slot earlier, then closed it gently and left the office, locking the door quietly behind him. You're listening to Ninth Step Murders Season 2. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, 
erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Ninth Step Murders is written by Malka Older, Fran Wilde, Jacqueline Koyanagi, and Curtis C. Chen. Produced by Rhoda Bayessa and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Emily Wu Zeller. Audio production, direction, sound design, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Cover design by Kendall Thomas with original illustration by Armin Rangani.